This is Asked and Answered. Questions. With Tom Opferman and Steelers Digest editor Bob Labriola. The only question that really matters, Labs, is how much faith do you have in the Jacksonville Jaguars to get the job done against the Indianapolis Colts <laughs> this coming Sunday and get the Pittsburgh Steelers into the playoffs? Um, not a lot. Uh, faith in the Jaguars, <laughs> two and fourteen. And let me just say, beyond the fact that they're bad and their record is bad, this is the other thing to me that really makes the uh, chances of them defeating the Colts unlikely in my mind. Their head coach was already fired, right? And so all those assistants are probably going to be fired because the new head coach isn't coming in and taking what uh, Urban Meyer's staff. So you don't even have a, a situation where. You know, coaches are coaching for their jobs. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think the Jaguars can win. The Colts are going to have to lose. That's exactly where I came down to it, too. I have no faith in the Jaguars winning, but I have a little faith in the Colts maybe choking. They already kind of did against the Raiders the other week. So. Well, I mean, you know, the other thing is the way this season is going, <laughs> right. anybody can lose, it seems to me. Hey, so. the Jags two wins, the Dolphins and the Bills. And the Bills, so right. So they've right, beaten decent right. teams. I mean, you know, Buffalo could be in the AFC Championship game <laughs> with a loss to the Jaguars on their record. Oh, and let me let me explain something to you, young Thomas. Yes, please it's do. Jaguars. Impart your wisdom. Jaguars. Right, because uh, the Jacksonville people get very upset when you call them the Jaguars. Do <laughs> you have any inkling I, as to why they get that upset? I, I don't or? know, but I do know. <laughs> For a long time, the, the, from the— time they came into the league in 95 uh, until 2002, the Jaguars were in the Steelers division at the time was the AFC Central. And just talking, you know, so we had to go there every year. And so, yeah, you, you heard that over time. You know? <laughs> well, maybe they can, Maybe they should chill out. Maybe win a couple well, more football games they, they before really, you start. And they really hate it when you call them the, the southernmost tip of Alabama. That's <laughs> just the truth, though. It is absolutely the truth. All right, I guess we'll get into these questions from Steelers Nation as well. And let's start with Jason Brecht from Anamosa, Iowa, who asks, I watched a replay of Steelers versus Cardinals in the Super Bowl recently. Wow, that Steelers defense was just brutal. Every guy, every play. That had come to be known as a standard for the Steelers for a long time. But it's been a while since we have seen that from the entire unit. Do you think there has been a drop-off there in recent years? And if so, is that attributed to different mindsets slash personalities of players, coaching, league rule changes? Uh, okay, let me just um, start with a little bit about the Steelers' 20, 2008 defense. Um, it was a historically great unit in uh, several different categories. The one to me that kind of stands out is that um, the Steelers' defense that season tied an NFL record for the fewest games uh, in which, or let me put it this way, for the longest streak of holding the opposing team under th- under 300 total yards of offense to start a season. I believe it was 14 or 13 or s- something like that. Sorry for not being totally up on my stats. It's okay. You're forgiven. Okay. And then the other thing, of course, we saw from that season was that, you know, James Harrison set a new single-season uh, sacks record, franchise sacks record for the Steelers was 16. Uh, that that team was a, an incredible pass rushing unit, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, now there's this. 
you're not allowed to play defense that way anymore. Right. <laughs> I mean, all of the a lot of the the stuff that the Steelers did, 08 and 2010, two seasons in which they advanced to the Super Bowl. Those that that's a penalty now. You can't hit guys like that. In fact, uh, I was talking to some people who know these kinds of things, and the Steelers win the twenty the Super Bowl forty five against the Packers. If earlier in the season the league didn't change the rules, because in that Super Bowl uh, forty five, Aaron Rodgers was throwing a lot of passes down the seam, deep down the seams, and that's how they were attacking the Steelers' defense. If they had done that in 08, they would have been taking those uh, receivers off the field on a stretcher. And I'm not no saying doubt. that's what should have happened or, you know, too bad it's not that way anymore. I'm just telling you what it was. <laughs> right. Uh, because if you go back, Jason, and watch a video of the 2008 AFC Championship game and just go to the end after Troy's interception uh, for the touchdown, the, the hits that Ryan Clark put on Willis McGahee, oh. Uh, and that was a clean play then. I mean, well, it was a clean play. It was a brutal hit, but it was a clean play. And teams didn't run those patterns against the Steelers because of that. They knew it was coming, yeah. Uh, and you, you just, you know, if unless you had 15 all-pro receivers on your roster all in a helmet for game day, <laughs> uh, you just didn't put them in that kind of um, position. Okay, so that's why you don't see that kind of defense anymore from an entire unit. Uh, the other thing I just want to point out is Super Bowl 43. Uh, you know, as Harrison's uh, interception return, greatest play in Super Bowl history, maybe, arguably, in my opinion, it is. Defensive play for sure. But no one talks about or remembers Larry Fitzgerald being uncovered, catching a pass wide open, and running straight through right the Steelers' the yep. defense for a 64-yard touchdown to give the Cardinals a lead with two minutes left. Right. Um, so, you know, let's, again, a great defense, a historically great defense, but if Ben doesn't work his magic, that defense uh, gave up a fourth-quarter lead and uh, allowed a 64-yard touchdown that cost the team their six Lombardi. So, you know, again uh, – just want everybody to consider all of the options, you know, when making judgments. One just last little complaint of mine. Um, the Denver playoff game, the Tim Tebow game. Right. You know what you never hear? How could Dick LeBeau be in that coverage for that 80-yard touchdown pass to Demarius Thomas on the first play from scrimmage in overtime? Who called that defense? <laughs> and I'm just – I'm you, channeling you my, really inner, my inner yinzer. You never How could hear you it. be so stupid – to be in that coverage, man-to-man, all over the field, <laughs> on a play like that. Could you imagine that now? Okay. that's uh, I'm off the soapbox. Go. <laughs> okay, perfect. And I love Dick LeBeau, but of I'm course. just talking about perception. Roberta Campbell from Portridge, Indiana, asks, Another year, and it's another year that Heinz Ward doesn't make the cut to be elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It's beginning to look like Elsie Greenwood all over again. Do you think either of them will finally ever get in? Um, I've given up on Elsie Greenwood. I hope I'm wrong, but I, yeah, that's I have a shame. mentally. Um, I, I thought that he was a legitimate candidate, candidate for a couple of reasons. First being that he was the Steelers franchise leader in sacks uh, until um, Jason Gilden broke the record in, in the 2000s at some point. Um, the other reason is 
and this has always been a complaint of mine, um, the fearsome force from the Rams uh, defensive line, the Purple People Eaters, the Vikings defensive line, both of them have more than one member of the defensive line in the Hall of Fame. The Steel Curtain, which my recollection of it is, it was much more famous than either one of those two. Yeah. Joe Green's the only one in the Hall of Fame. And if you ask me, you know, the, the, the number two guy of those original four, which was Green, Greenwood, Ernie Holmes, and Dwight White, would be Greenwood. Um, but he's he's not in. Uh, his path to getting in is is I just don't I don't see it as realistic. Okay, Heinz Ward. He's still a different. He's in a different category. Still in the modern era. Um, but the the problem about it is problem with it is um, passing stats have exploded all over the league. So yes. receivers are putting up numbers that are just just gaudy ridiculous, numbers. right? So there's that that Heinz Ward has to. Uh, deal with now his stats are not bad he has a thousand catches you know for his yardage total his touchdowns all of that um those are decent numbers but um you know people i think are being desensitized voters are being desensitized by ridiculous pat re, uh, ridiculous receiving numbers here's another thing uh heinz ward's candidacy if you talk to people in the league um i talked to mike tomlin about this you know for a while because he coached ward uh, he also coached John Lynch, who was a similar player as Heinz Ward in terms of um, his his statistics weren't alone, didn't get him into the Hall of Fame, but it was his playing demeanor, uh, his physical presence, you know, all that kind of stuff. Now, John Lynch, Mike Tomlin coached him. John Lynch would have been the guy going against Heinz Ward in games between their teams uh, when the, both were in the uh, NFL. And I asked Mike Tomlin about that, and he said, oh, I talked to – because he coached the defensive backs. He yeah. said, oh, I, I would tell those guys, you know, during our position meetings leading up to a game against the Steelers and Heinz Ward, you better keep your eye on 86. And he said, you know, guys who went against him a couple of times and then were around the league enough, he said, I guarantee you, if you go to John Lynch and ask him, to talk about Heinz Ward, the first thing he's going to tell you is not anything about his receiving statistics. Right. So, uh, you know, that there's no statistic for that. There's no metric for that. Uh, however, that is an element of Heinz Ward's game that the people who played football, coached football, all bring up as a significant reason why he should be in the Hall of Fame. It's kind of like uh, John Madden getting in as a video game uh, creator. Um, you know, and that's part of it. Yeah. I mean, should it be? Um, well, we can talk about that at another time. But what's real is real. And so one final thing on Heinz Ward, uh, what's starting to make me nervous uh, now is that Ward has never made the final 15, which means his case has never been put up for discussion among the board of selectors right. in a room uh, at the site of the Super Bowl a day or two before that game is played. So... That's that would be a time I think when a lot of the stuff about his blocking uh, would be uh, would be brought up and debated. Now, but what's happening there is this year's list of finalists includes three receivers: Torrey Holt, Andre Johnson, and Reggie Wayne. Pretty good players. Pretty good players. Stats guys. Yes. Um, and if you look at them, Holt has one ring. Reggie Wayne has one. Heinz Ward has two by himself. And an MVP in the Super Bowl. And a Super Bowl MVP, correct. Uh, 
But what's happening is, uh, for Heinz Ward, he's fallen behind these guys in the minds of the voters. And more of those guys are going to keep coming. More of those guys are going to keep coming up. So, um, and you usually only have one receiver per Hall of Fame induction class. So, if none, no more receivers come up, say, for the next 10 years, which is absurd, but let's just pretend, <laughs> um, it would appear to me that Heinz Ward has three guys ahead of him at least, and those are those three guys I mentioned, Torrey Holt, Andre Johnson, and Reggie Wayne. So, again, I believe Heinz Ward deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I hope he can get elected, but um, the way things are trending, um, I'm not optimistic that it happens soon. He, he definitely has to get past that 15 cutoff point because you're right if you can get into a room and start to really bring up the intangibles and the or, blocking and all and that stuff or, then maybe you could flip people's minds yeah or you get into the room and um you get ed reed to talk about him a little bit or woodson and then all of a sudden they, it's they like, start yeah. and they start saying yeah <laughs> right so that carries some cachet with yeah. those guys what was yeah. like alan fanica when right. ray lewis stepped up and started talking about him so um that's the way and I remember um, what happened with Heinz Ward's, or excuse me, Lynn Swan's candidacy for a long time. Swan was uh, unable to crack uh, the, the the group, um, and Ed Bouchette was the the Pittsburgh representative, and he called Chuck Knoll after it was coincidence after Tommy McDonald went in, and Chuck Knoll's quote I'll never forget it. He said Chuck Knoll said I played. With Tommy McDonald. Tommy McDonald couldn't carry Lynn Swan's jock. <laughs> and that's all the vote of confidence you need if you're on that board. Right. Put him right yeah. in the Hall of yeah. Fame. Whatever you say, Coach. Wes Planthaber from Huntington, Pennsylvania asks, I had a debate with a couple of my friends regarding a difference of opinion on the AFC North. My statement, which was met with much ridicule and disagreement, was, with the Steelers being the only team in the division paying a quarterback who isn't playing on a rookie contract, their salary cap situation as a result is a huge disadvantage to them in terms of having the cap space to build a deep roster, which in turn make injuries more damaging. I stated when Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, and this is a big if, Baker Mayfield get paid in their second contracts as franchise quarterbacks, it will level the field. What is your opinion on this? Um, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and so, uh, you know, and just some examples from this most recent offseason, you know, your starting quarterback is playing on his rookie deal. You could pay Mike Hilton $24 million over six years to be a slot cornerback as the Bengals did. Right. Or if you're the char- uh, Chargers, not in the same division, but Justin Herbert, same rookie contract. You can pay Matt Filer $21 million, $21 million $7 million a year to be a – you know, marginally uh, effective starting guard in the NFL. Right. Matt, I do respect to Matt Filer. I don't think he's ever going to in any danger of getting voted to the Pro Bowl. And But <laughs> he's, you know, again, he's a very solid player. Solid player. Um, legitimate NFL starter. But if you're paying your quarterback, Kansas City, a half a billion dollars, you cannot afford Matt Filer, and you're taking guys – you know, off the street, et cetera. So really it's just simple arithmetic. Or imagine yourself in a room uh, of people and somebody brings in a pie and they set it down on the table and two of the people in that room are Craig Wolfley and Max Starks. Now, 
your piece of that pie is not going to be as big if you get any. If I even get one, yeah. If you even get any. My fingers might get bit off. (laughs) Or if uh, two people in that room uh, are your your wife and my wife, just as an example. So uh, that's, you know, it's it's very similar to uh, living in a big family, uh, sitting down for a family-style dinner, and whoever cooked the meal, your mom or your dad or whoever, puts a plate of, let's just say, pork chops on the table. You don't want to be the last one. To grab that no, smallest. To, well, or to get the plate passed to you. <laughs> it's all picked over then. <laughs> that's at that all point. picked over. And that's very much... Uh, analogous to an NFL salary cap. And let me just throw this out to you too, Wes. Uh, you put the if in front of Baker Mayfield, and I agree with that. Throw an if in front of Lamar Jackson too. Um, Definitely not in front of Joe Burrow, though. Oh, no. That guy no. is a dude. Well, hopefully, um, you know, from a Steelers uh, standpoint, I'm hoping that Joe Burrow maybe uh, passes Patrick Mahomes. Uh, Money-wise. Yeah, maybe three-quarters of a billion for for Joe Burrow. Might be hard to keep Higgins, Boyd, and Chase all together if Burrow's making three quarters of a billion dollars. There you go. Joe Mixon, too. That's true, too. Tim Sivard from South Hill, Virginia asks, if Ben Roethlisberger retires and it was up to you, which veteran quarterback would you acquire to compete with Mason Rudolph for the starting job? I say Gardner Minshew, but of course my son says I'm crazy. Tim, your son so- sounds like a Mensa candidate to me. <laughs> Gardner Minshew. Bright future in that voice. Acquire Gardner Minshew. That's just what, I mean. I have heard that, Labs, producing for the Mark Manage. People have called in and said that to Mark. What is the deal? Why is he the one? Why is he the name that people are all of a sudden starting to throw out there? You're going to see a lot of them in this offseason. But for whatever reason, Gardner Minshew, people keep wanting to make Gardner Minshew happen. Stop it. Stop trying to make Gardner Minshew happen. Uh, all All I can tell you, Tom, is this. One point in my past... I was um, in in and around the Bradenton, Florida area. And in that area, Bradenton, Sarasota, they have the P.T. Barnum Museum. So P.T. Barnum, you know, something to do. Went to the P.T. Barnum Museum. Now, a lot of people remember the quote from P.T. Barnum, something to the effect of, you know, there's a sucker born every minute or something. But a legitimate one uh, that was in the museum was this. You will never get rich overestimating the intelligence of the American people. So every time you hear Gardner Minshew, remember P.T. Barnum. Angelo Morella from Poland, Ohio. Cam Hayward has had a great year, but the Steelers are very clearly in the beginning of a rebuild. Since he will be 33 next year and owed $61 million over the next three years, would the Steelers look to trade him for additional draft picks? Um, okay, let's start with this, uh, Angelo. Um, your information about the contract is incorrect. Oh, um, Angelo. Salary and bonuses for Cam Hayward through the uh, rest of his current deal add up to $42.8 million, not sixty-one. So, you know, what's $19 million between friends? It's well, nothing, really, yeah. <laughs> Pennies. <laughs> Pocket change. Yes. Okay, so anyway, now that that's out of the way, um, uh, you know, what do you think you're going to get in a trade for Cam Hayward, a 33-year-old player, and again, with a contract that other teams would look at and say, why would we want to pay this guy this much? Now, he's worth more to the Steelers than any other team uh, because of, to some degree, what he has already accomplished, um, his ability to impact 
the franchise as a leader, as an example in the community, all of those other kinds of things. Um, and I, I mean, to me, when Cam Hayward retires, we just went through the Ben Roethlisberger thing Monday night. No doubt. Um, against the Browns. Cam Hayward isn't a quarterback, and he didn't win two Super Bowls. And so, you know, I don't imagine that his um, his status in terms of public perception will be as great as Ben's when he decides it's time um, to end his career. Now, who knows? Maybe Cam is part of a Super Bowl team, uh, a winning Super Bowl team before his career ends. I, I wouldn't. I'm not discounting that. Yeah, maybe he could be like the pop stargel to a young group of Steelers that win the Super Bowl. But um, you know, uh, you you don't trade a guy like that. You just don't. No. I mean, he's going to end up being one of the most significant players in the history of the Steelers franchise. And let me remind listeners once again, uh, the team was founded in 1933. So you know, this isn't like talking about the Jaguars uh, that <laughs> you know been around for 15 minutes. So um, Cam Hayward may. In my mind, Cam Hayward will go down as the second most significant defensive lineman in franchise history. And don't forget, we started this podcast by talking about the steel curtain. Okay? So let's just keep things in perspective a little bit, Angelo. I'm not trading Cam Hayward for two twos and a four in the next next few drafts. It's just that's not the way uh, you operate. Um, it's, It's about more than numbers age, and salary, okay? Uh, You're talking like one of those analytics geeks. And, um, you know, as Bill Cowher said about analytics geeks, you know, instead of looking at the analytics, use your common sense. Well, my common sense tells me with how bad the run defense has been, it's probably a good idea to bring back the first-team all-pro defensive tackle. Yeah. Just my hunch, though. I I don't get paid for that, though. Carrie Real from Indiana, Pennsylvania. What odds slash chance would you give for Ben Roethlisberger returning for another season? Um, I'm not an odds maker, um, but this is how I phrase it. I cannot imagine a realistic scenario where Ben Roethlisberger comes back to play uh, in the NFL for the Pittsburgh Steelers because that's the only way he would return to play in 2022. Um, so I, I just there's not a realistic scenario in my mind that exists for that to happen. What we saw Monday night, exactly. Um, the way he acted, his emotion, the way yeah. the Steelers reacted. Um, you know, there are things that are not necessarily being said in the live microphones, um, but I think everybody kind of knows that this is it. Yeah, the, the body language was really telling towards yes. the end of the game. And finally, Butch Johnson from Erie, Pennsylvania. A thank you to Ben Roethlisberger for everything over the years. I recently read an article suggesting that he be considered the second greatest Steeler player of all time after Joe Green. At first, I scoffed a bit at the a bit at that, given all the great Steelers players. But then, as I thought more about it, maybe that's right, given his longevity and success over so many years and the importance of the quarterback position. I find it hard to compare players at different positions who played in different eras, such as Mel Blunt, Franco Harris, Jack Ham, Jack Lambert, Rod Woodson, etc., to come up with overall rankings like that. What do you think? Uh, I agree with you. I find it uh, very difficult to compare players over different areas at different positions. And uh, all the guys you mentioned, that your list there, uh, they're all Hall of Famers. Uh, I have full confidence that Ben Roethlisberger will join them at, uh, 
at, with that status uh, as soon as historically possible, meaning five years after uh, his retirement becomes official. Uh, however, you know, um, guys like Mel Blunt and Jack Ham, um, Franco Harris, um, they either changed the game and had rules made to limit their effectiveness, or uh, in the case of Franco Harris and some of the other ones, you know, when they came to the Steelers, the Steelers stunk. The Steelers are not the Steelers. <laughs> there was no standard. Yeah. When the Steelers, you know, when Franco Harris was drafted in 1972, the Steelers had never made the playoffs. Never. Never. So um, if you're in on the ground floor like that, you're the task that faces you to get the, to help the team become great and for you to be great is a lot different than, um, like, Woodson as an example, uh, Ben as an example, uh, not diminishing their skills or their contributions to the organization in any way. But that's why I just don't feel it's fair to compare those kinds of players from different eras like that because it's a, it's, it's a, it's a guess, and I think it's disrespectful uh, to the, both the uh, old-time players and to the new guys. Um, and so uh, I think Ben, uh, the way I would look at it, the way I would view him, grade him, rank him, or whatever, is you know he joins the pantheon of the greatest players in franchise history, Super Bowl champions, Hall of Famers, um, instead of ranking him, how about we all just appreciate the fact that you're a fan of a team that can half even think about these kind of discussions where you have had uh, different players from different eras achieve the ultimate in their sport, both as a team and as an individual. There are teams in the NFL that would struggle to fill out one Mount Rushmore. You might be able to fill out five with Pittsburgh Steelers players. That's how prestigious this franchise has been throughout its entire history. That's and all I got. Well, and that's why they don't retire jerseys either. <laughs> we would have no more numbers left on the field. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's all we got for you in this edition of Asked and Answers. Always appreciate you guys giving us a listen. For Bob Labriola, I'm Tom Offerman. We'll be back again next week with a fresh batch of questions.